Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At bluenile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Wilander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Schreiber. This is Yannick Noah. This is Rob Sophie from the great city of Chicago. And you're listening to the wonderful Tennis Podcast. Thank you very much to Rob Sophie, friend of the tennis podcast in our intro there from Chicago, as is our lovely mascot for the Australian Open, Charlie, uh, of whom there will be more news, plenty more news, trust me, at the end of the show, because this is our first official Australian Open daily show. It's the preview show, and it starts with the news that it's done. It's over. Novak Djokovic is out of the Australian Open. And as we come to you at 10 past seven in the evening, Melbourne time, uh, 10 past eight in the morning, Solihull time, uh, Djokovic is awaiting deportation from the country back to presumably his home in Serbia. And that is because his appeal against the decision of Immigration Minister Alex Hawke, who I still don't follow on Twitter, and I doubt or certainly hope that there'll be cause for me to do so in the future uh, has been upheld by the Federal Court of Australia. Three, a three-judge panel made the unanimous decision that there was no legal error uh, in Alex Hawke's decision to cancel Novak Djokovic's visa and therefore uh, that decision stands. Were it not for the timeline and the deadline on the affair and the fact that Novak Djokovic, when the order of play came out at 4pm this evening, was scheduled to play on the Rod Laver Arena tomorrow evening on the first day of the tournament, were it not for the deadline, there would be recourse to appeal to the High Court of Australia, but that simply wouldn't be possible in time. Um, And in fact, lots of people thought this appeal wouldn't be possible in time, but of course they they made special allowances and and scheduled it over the weekend. But it's over, it's done. I'm going to get the reaction uh, of Matt to not having to be a court reporter anymore. We'll get the reaction of David as well. Um, But I'll I'll also read you the reaction of Novak Djokovic because he has released a statement. Um, He says, I will now be taking some time to rest 
and to recuperate before making any further comments beyond this, I'm extremely disappointed with the ruling. Sorry, with the ruling to dismiss my application for judicial review of the decision to cancel my visa, which means I cannot stay in Australia and participate in the Australian Open. I respect the court's ruling and I'll cooperate with the relevant authorities in relation to my departure from Australia. I'm uncomfortable that the focus of the past weeks has been on me and I hope that we can all now focus on the game and tournament I love. I would like to wish the players, tournament officials, staff, volunteers and fans all the best for the tournament. Finally, I would like to thank my family, friends, team, supporters, fans and my fellow Serbians for your continued support. You've all been a great source of strength to me. Um, So never say never, especially with the Novak Djokovic saga, but at least the matter is ended and Matt, you don't have to be a court reporter anymore. Yes, what is it they say about new mothers should be asleep when their baby is asleep? We sort of followed the procedure <laughs> of of the hearing today. We adjourned for lunch when they adjourned for lunch and we sat here through the whole thing, um, understanding some of it, very thankful to the excellent reporting of Karen Sweeney and Paul Sakal, I think have been you know, really on top of, of the whole thing, really, over the last two weeks. Mm. We've suddenly relied on their reporting a lot. The low point of the day was when the, the court adjourned to, to reach, its, reach its decision and the cricket had, it, had its dinner break. <laughs> and there was, we were bereft. There was no entertainment at all um, because um, legal proceedings in Australia is what we've come to, to take as entertainment over the past few days. Yes, absolutely. But I think, you know... Everyone was tired of this, weren't they? And that was certainly the mood among lots of the players in in the press conferences on media day on Saturday. That was certainly our mood. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't think we can draw a line under it because it's going to be, it's going to rumble on. Surely the story, you know, Djokovic has said he's going to make further comments at some point. It's it's still going to cast a big, big shadow over this tournament over the next two weeks. And I still think Djokovic has a lot of questions to answer. Um, but at least it's done before the tournament and we can slightly move on now. Yeah, David, is that your feeling? How do you stand on it all? Yeah, I think I think it will rumble on. I think the tournament has a lot of questions to answer. Let's let's not forget that they said that he'd got an exemption to play in the Australian Open to come into the country. And whatever you think about it, that was a cock-up. Because, you know, this is, has been an embarrassment for the last two weeks for, for the Australian government as well. It's been embarrassing for Novak Djokovic detained in a, in a, a detention centre. It's been embarrassing for... The tournament who couldn't do the draw, uh, who couldn't post the order of play rather today until nearly 5pm on a Sunday night and all the players are waiting to find out what's going on and Novak Djokovic was still on the order of play as the last match on court on the Rod Laver Arena on Monday night, the night before and yet we didn't know whether he was going to be allowed to because they hadn't decided on this case yet. So that came in shortly afterwards and it's just it's just sad all of it's really sad I don't I do feel relieved that it's kind of over and that things will start to return to some sort of normality 
probably in a couple of days' time, I would have thought, once the tournament, once it's clear he's he's back, I would imagine he, he'd probably go to Monaco, actually, um, which is where he's based a lot of the time these days. Um, and things will start to return to some sort of normality. It will start to focus on the tennis, but it'll be a few days' time. But it's it's sad, it's terrible that it's come to this. When you, when you consider that he could have just had the vaccine and um, I know he doesn't, doesn't, didn't want to, but he should have, he should have had it, and and if he if he wasn't going to have it, he shouldn't have been allowed to, allowed to play unless he had some acute condition that is absolutely beyond dispute of of being able to have the vaccine because of it, and that that wasn't the case. It was too it was too wishy washy the rule. It was too allowing of of all of this, quite honestly, and the fact that it has gone to this point. I mean. The words he said in his statement, I mean, some of it I appreciate. I appreciate the fact that he said, concentrate on the tennis now and the tournament and the other players. But the words don't go along with his actions. That, mm. That's the bottom mm. line. And and, I, and he says these things, but you've fought it until the grim end, until there is no other mm. further recourse, no other move that anybody can make. And then you've walked away. So you haven't really put the tournament ahead of yourself. You've just, you've fought it to the bitter end. Um, so I don't feel any sense of great happiness in any of this. Um, I think it's a shame no. that he, he's, he now can't win a 21st major title. He's, he's barred himself, backed himself into a position where he can't. And that's a real shame for the narrative and the talking points of the sport and there will be so many people that no matter who wins this tournament now say yeah but Novak Djokovic wasn't there all of it is really upsetting to be honest and you know you've got a a wonderful tournament that was called the happy slam for all these years and and Craig Tiley's running of it frankly was an example to everybody else about how to run a tournament and suddenly now everybody's looking at him and thinking you don't know what you're doing or you certainly you, this this episode makes it feel like there's big doubt on you. I hope that he can get past that. I mean, maybe I'm naive. I don't think all of his good work should be undone because of this one situation. But God, it's a mess, and it, and 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 all the people that are pointing the finger at Australia's laws and manner of dealing with this whole thing. Well, they're right too because that's been an absolute dog's dinner i mean the the whole thing is just a hell of a shame mm. and and look is as, as it stands at the moment the 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 ruling is that djokovic is unable to be eligible for a visa f- for the next three years now there are written into that law there are certain grounds for exemption but he would have to prove or oh, not that word or, well, again. exactly i mean we could be in a case of, you know, in 12 months' time or whenever applications start being made of the tournament uh, having to make representations about the it being in the national mm. interest for Novak Djokovic to get an exemption um, <laughs> to play in the Australian Open. Let's not look, I mean, <laughs> look I, ahead I to really that. I really hope that he just, in the next weeks to come, realises that this is not going to get any better. He's going to keep running into this problem at other places, not just the Australian Open, have the bloody vaccine, tell everybody you've had it, say, okay, I, I got this one wrong, I should have had it, I've now had it, 
and let him back in. That's what I would say in the future. But I, I, personally, I think there's zero chance of that. I mean, it, it's it's that Simon Briggs piece again. I mean, it's all the qualities that have made him great uh, have also been his been his downfall. You know, the defiance. The more he's backed into a corner, the less likely he is to back down. Uh, personally, I, I just I don't see that. But I agree with you that that uh, you know that, that would quite obviously be be the best way to rescue something from this situation. I mean, trying to sort of have overarching conclusions and feelings about what is an incredibly complicated and messy, nuanced situation is quite difficult. Ultimately, I feel like Australia has a vaccine mandate to come to this country and the exemptions were in place for people that were medically unable to take the vaccine and all parties involved, and most crucially, Novak Djokovic knew that that did not apply to him. And so he was seeking a loophole. All along, he was seeking a loophole. And I'm not okay with that. I'm not comfortable with that. I don't think that was ever right. I think he was could have, might have been misled by Tennis Australia. I think Tennis Australia misjudged the mood by trying to help him out with getting an exemption. I think the the government have handled it incredibly messy, messily. And I do think he's been politicised. Mm. My sympathy with him being politicised is quite limited because I think that he has tremendous power and status and wealth. And most of what comes along with that is tremendous privilege. And I'm not saying he hasn't earned it. He is quite possibly the greatest male tennis player of all time. But it comes with tremendous privilege. But it also comes with a few downsides and a few additional responsibilities. And and one is though one of those is that you are, in some instances, bigger than yourself. You know, he uses his power and his status to to further causes that he believes in, um, and that's a tremendous privilege as well. But it also means that you are in a position where you can be you can be politicized in this way. And I think that is. That is, while I don't think it's great for the government to have politicised him, I also, you know, don't sympathise with Novak Djokovic that much about it. On a human level, I do, you know, the detention and all of that, you know, I, that is, it must have had an awful week and I wouldn't wish that on anyone. But equally, there are refugees in that detention hotel that have been there for nine years. Um, and... Most, if I'm apportioning sympathy, most of it will go to to those. So, yeah, I th- I think, yeah, as I said, it's very difficult to have a pithy, um, overriding, overarching sort of take on it all. But ultimately, this country has a vaccine mandate, and he tried to come in by the back door, and that was never okay, and he should never have been led to believe that that was okay yeah i mean a mess of so many people's making but he is the principal architect of that mess is sort of where i come down on it and as as david said for him to say in that statement that he finds it disappointing that so much of the attention has been on him and as you know as sort of he sort of hijacked the tournament in a way well his actions don't 
align with that. Even when he was here, he had power to do something about that. You know, a lot of people have been, I think, probably wrongly comparing this situation to Naomi Osaka's at the French Open. But in her statement when she withdrew from that tournament, she said, I never wanted to be a distraction here. And she pulled herself out of that tournament. And Djokovic had the power to sort of leave leave with some grace and dignity and realize that he had taken a massive misstep and he didn't and he didn't take that so you can't then pin the blame on other people for the attention being on him when he didn't do anything about it to to sort of stop it and in fact his actions sort of snowballed all of the attention so i feel very similarly to both of you and ultimately i just feel like it's a massive, massive shame that this has happened. Mm. But I do think, you know, once the tournament gets underway, look, there's there's still going to be recriminations and repercussions from all of this. We're yet to hear from Craig Tiley uh, or any kind of official statement from the tournament um, at the moment. But I do think, you know, if, I'm not going to be putting an asterisk over this men's title, for example. I do think once we get underway... Once great tennis starts to be played, once we can focus on the brilliant storylines that are there, all is not lost. I, I do think this can be a, be a great tournament. Um, but but right now it feels like it's it's swallowed us all whole, doesn't it? And swallowed the tournament whole. But but I think I think a perfect way to round it all off, if it is if <laughs> I'm saying that so tentatively because I feel like it could come back to bite us and there'll be a new hearing sh- popping up on the uh, the federal court schedule um, before we know it. But I think a, g- a good way to tentatively round things off is with uh, Rafael Nadal's comments yesterday. He came to press uh, on Saturday as most most of the main players did. So so before there was a conclusion uh, in the whole matter. Um, but he he was asked about the Djokovic situation and the tournament, and he said something pretty poignant, really. But there's something that I, I I felt, Matt, and I think you did too, that he'd clearly given a lot of thought to, and had uh, prepared in advance what he wanted to say. You said that he said almost identical words in in the Spanish portion of his press conference. He said, "I tell you one thing." It's very clear that Novak Djokovic is one of the best players in history, without a doubt, but there is no one player in history that's more important than an event. No? (laughs) Um, The player stays and then goes, and other players are coming. No one, even Roger, Novak, myself, Bjorn Borg, who was amazing at his time. Tennis keeps going. Australian Open is much more important than any player. If he's playing finally, okay. If he's not playing, Australian Open will be great with or without him. That's my point of view. And it really did feel like when he came to press yesterday, it felt like, oh my goodness, there's an adult in the room. There's someone sensible. There's someone that... It was a tonic. It was a real tonic for us us yesterday. And he just spoke so much sense and with so much sort of social conscience and perspective. And um, it felt like it was what everybody in the room needed at the time. Yeah, he cut right to the heart of the issue and he has 
he has a way of sort of quite calmly and methodically explaining how he feels about quite complex situations, Nadal. Obviously in his broken English, but he really gets emotion across, I always think, when he speaks. And and actually I felt it was quite a distancing from Novak Djokovic. You know, he his his career has obviously been so connected to Djokovic's and he, of course he was asked, you know, how he felt about this and he made the point, I respect him as a player. I really, really do. I always will. And in many ways, I respect him as a person as well. But I do not agree with many of the things he's done in the last few weeks was another thing that he said in the press conference. And just it, it felt like a moment in that relationship between Nadal and Djokovic. Mm. It felt like a sort of, yeah, a sort of line drawn between them, actually. Extremely respectful, but yeah, it did feel like that. What that's doing for me is... Finally, we're getting somebody who isn't just putting blind loyalty ahead of everything else that they believe in life and or, or partisanship. We, 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 we see so many people whose view is Novak Djokovic is, is wrong because he's Novak Djokovic and because I don't like him is the, is the gist of what we hear a lot of. And we hear so many other people who are defending him to the hilt. And it's not just him. This happens with other players. No matter what he does, and I can't be doing with that. I, I don't take those people seriously. And actually, I've, I've taken to, to muting those sort of people on Twitter, for instance, because mm. I'm just fed up of, of people giving a view that isn't, isn't looking at the, the actual behaviour. You've got to look at what, this, what people are saying and what they're doing and judge that, not just judge the person that you like or don't like and Nadal yes okay you could say he's got the vested interest of being a rival of of Djokovic but he's also a contemporary and a fellow player and I think there are certain players that are just getting behind Djokovic because because of their their own stake in the game and um or 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 not and and I appreciate that from Nadal because he's looking at the the world and the and the the situation mm. beyond. Mm. And he also very recently had COVID. It was something that he, he's spoken about it uh, before now. He spoke about it um, a couple of weeks ago, didn't he? But um, he spoke about it again yesterday and he said, I've been very sick during the COVID. Um, I could really take to calling it the COVID. <laughs> Um, it's got that sort of said, that take, over there sort of. I already feel like any, anything that could make it feel more jaunty, I'm I'm here for. After two years, it's time to introduce some jauntiness to this whole COVID fiasco. Uh, he said, "Take take days to recover." Honestly, feelings were not good during that seven days, especially the first four days have been really hard. But after that, day by day, I felt a little better. No. <laughs> Should I stop doing that? Uh, I no. don't. <laughs> I don't know if I have any negative feeling after COVID because I've been outside of the tour for such a long time. So you never know why why one thing happens or the other. In general terms, I feel happy. If you tell me that I'm going to be in my position today, one month ago, of course I will sign without a doubt the paper saying that I will be in this position and in this situation all, after all the things that really happened and. Yeah, it sounds like it was, you know, he he's fine, but it sounds like he's he, you know, saw the dark place that a lot of the that a lot of us have seen over the last 2 years. Um 
and um yeah he's in a good place i think mentally i think it is class it's classic nadal he he's not placing any expectations on himself or much at a time we'll see how the the body feels as you said there you know he's obviously not perfect we know that he's a a player that tends not to be able to just rock up and hit top form he plays himself into form um and he any you know it's hard to know whether what not feeling quite perfect is down to mm. there's there's a number of different things it could be but my goodness me i i think his his comeback and his physical situation now has exceeded his expectations yeah. by some way it certainly exceeded mine what what what's i remember you saying matt the other day that the the wins he'd had to win that title the other day they could have been first rounds um what what does it feel like you know when when you sort of do a draw and you get a sense of oh he's got a good draw he hasn't got a good draw has nadal got a good draw i do find it very difficult to say because we we don't know because i because i spilt wine all over the draw about (laughs) half an hour ago Well, that as well. Um, I have got a clean copy here that says he has Marcos Giron in the first round. I think that's fine for a first round for Nadal. Mm. Then he could have Tanasi Kokonakis in the second round. And obviously, Mm. much... Oh, indeed, David. Much more I think that's what Channel 9 said as well. Kokonakis, who lots of people speculated, would end up taking the place of Novak Djokovic and Mirmir Ketchmanovic on the Rod Laver Arena night session on day one. When the, So at the time that the order of play came out, which was 4.06pm today, um, the Djokovic verdict obviously wasn't in at that stage. Um, so they put Novak Djokovic on the schedule. And I think... I think they were just in a situation where it was unfair to to the players, every player other than Novak Djokovic, to leave it any longer because, I mean, there were there were lots of players potentially affected. Salvatore Caruso, who's come in as the lucky loser at the at the you know eleventh hour, but Andrei Rublev, who had the verdict come in before the order of play would have taken Novak Djokovic's place in the draw. So essentially become the number one seed and played Mirmir Kecmanovic tomorrow. Um, so we're in the situation up until 4.06pm where Andre Rublev didn't know Matt... He didn't know his opponent, the day he was playing, or the side of the draw he was on. <laughs> That's rough. <laughs> there, were lo- there were a lot of uh, excellent Andre Rublev gifts going around um yeah i mean ludicrous situation so yeah i I think they were hoping to not put out an order of play until the verdict was in but it just became untenable any longer so they so they put one out meaning that uh djokovic's place in the draw is now taken by a lucky loser and with all due respect to the players involved they don't want caruso against (laughs) getchmanovic to be uh the men's night session match on day one of the australian open um so it seems that the zverev altmaier match has been upgraded uh from the second court to rod laver arena and uh tanasi kokonakis uh who's who we were talking about all along uh remains on show court Number three, of course, he comes into this Grand Slam, his home Grand Slam, 
having just won his first ever title in Adelaide, uh, his hometown. Um, a more uplifting tournament win. Well, I was going to say you won't you won't find one, but you know Andy Murray. There there have been them, but it was it was really emotional. So emotional that even Roger Federer and Novak Djokovic, in fact, sent Tanasi Kokonakis a, a note of congratulations because this guy has been through it, hasn't he? Yeah, he sure has. And um, the scenes at the end, I think, is, is the only way you can really describe it. The whole stadium just erupted for him and he was in tears and yeah I think you know it's it's not only overcoming all of those injuries it's his first ever title and to do it in his hometown just you know he said there is nowhere I would have rather won my first title and honestly I believe that you know that was that was really really special for him he's been the he's been the feel-good story of this tennis season so far and god do we need feel good stories in tennis at the moment and he sort of showed some really good form in the first week of the season and then to back it up and improve on it and win so many tough matches in Adelaide you know he he had to come through a lot of difficult moments and yet he backed himself he backed that incredibly exciting style of tennis that he has that takes people with him and it's it's fantastic to see and i would i would love nothing more than Nadal Kokonakis night session in a few days' time. I think that I think that could be really special as well if if Kokonakis has got, you know, stuff left because I think that was a pretty physically and emotionally draining week in Adelaide. He's twenty five years old, David, mm. Nasi Kokonakis. If when if when he was breaking through, um, you know, is that it was in the it was in the fluoro days, wasn't it? It was yeah. um when he was I think eighteen years old and he got that got that wild card or, or maybe qualified. Anyway, he was, you know, the young gun. Um, and he was, you know, sort of Shapovalov, Felix Auger and Asim style. Kyrgios was saying, well, if you think I'm good, check out my mate, Tanasi Kokonakis. Mm. I think he was 18, but definitely no more than that. Um, if, if you'd been told, if he'd been told, you'll be 25 before you win your first title. I mean... You would have, you would have scarcely. Yeah, well, he was expected to be duking it out with Zverev. He came along at a similar sort of time, and that was the that was the the era, the gen. Uh, He never got chance to be in the next gen, so to speak, because his injuries started. And and I mean, it has been heartbreaking, really. I'll, I'll never forget the interview you did with him, Catherine at Queens, when he admitted he'd he'd been having mental health problems. Off the back of all the injuries, the, the the breakdowns of his body, getting back, working so hard, and then something else breaks down, literally putting him out for a year at a time, and I don't know how he is still here. I actually look at it in the in the other way. I mean, it is it's seven odd seven or eight years when he since he made that breakthrough, and I, you're right, I would never have imagined that he wouldn't have had the career that I envisaged back then because he looked so solid as well physically. He always looked like this is a durable guy. He's got an appetite for it. What's going to go wrong uh, with this guy? Uh, and the thing is he's had but lots of different things has got, have gone wrong. It's not been the same injury recurring. It's like his body parts have taken it in turn, haven't they? Yeah. Um, Tennis TV put up a really good tweet. 2015, shoulder surgery. 2018, fractured kneecap, 2019, pulled pectoral. 
Um, and sort of in between that, he had he had other injuries and was unranked at one point. You know, really had to finish his season early on lots of occasions as well. It's it has been one thing after the other, mm. just a the, just a fight to even be able to play the sport. The resolve, the resolve, the determination, the sheer love affair he must have with the sport to put himself through that that disappointment, the depression, frankly, that he was feeling. I mean, I know I know a lot of people who know him well. I, I only know him a little bit from having crossed his paths at, at, at Queen's, but I know people who know him pretty well. And they love him. Everybody in the sport loves him and just wishes him well and, and is, is glorying, reveling in this, this run of his and just hoping it can carry on. Just, just have a proper physical go at your career. Whatever, whatever your results are, that's another matter. But don't get in the way of this guy's attempt to fulfil his potential. And, and yeah, these are, these are wonderful scenes and long may they continue. So, so we all think, I think, that... Nadal Kokonakis is happening and it's going to be great. To, to go back to the original question, is Nadal a threat here, Matt? Yes, I think so. If he's fit, which he seems to be, this is just about a draw where he can build up the matches that he needs. Um, Karen Hatchinov is his potential round three opponent who has played well against Nadal in the past. I think, I think he actually quite likes that matchup. Um, if he gets past that, there's, again, informed players, Aslan Karatsev potentially in the fourth round, Hubert Hercatch. But I don't know. I, I have a feeling about Nadal. I have a, sort of nothing more than that, but just a feeling. And you never write off someone like Nadal. So I, I think this is a workable draw for him. And I think he makes it to at least the quarterfinals. And it would be a quarterfinal meeting with, with Alexander Zverev, who, who we think is probably reaching that quarterfinal. Is Karatsev the biggest? No, Karatsev would face Nadal. Uh, I've got Karatsev beating Nadal, actually. Um, wow. Have you? Which, which is you've, interesting. You've got Karatsev in a, in a pole vault, David. <laughs> a pole vault which you refuse to answer yourself last uh, night well i'm putting you on the spot now david i'm asking you your, your own pole vault back to you is aslan karatsev the sydney champion beat andy murray in the final beat dan evans in the semis is aslan karatsev in the mix no no he's not um actually it's quite interesting I, i'm Correct. I, I, I agree. It would be a surprise. I haven't entered if my quarterfinal predictions yet, and I might change them. And the reason I might change them is because I, I've just been reminded of how comfortably Nadal tends to deal with Vavrinka. And and I've, I always think of Karatsev's ball striking as a bit like Vavrinka's, you know, uh, just this burly guy belt in the ball. But I, I, I don't think I don't know where, how he'll get along with Nadal. But Vavrinka... Takes more time, bigger, yeah. bigger swings. Takes more time on the ball. Karatsev stands on the baseline. I mean, we, we made we made comparisons um, in the the most recent tennis relived episode, which is available for for friends of the tennis podcast um, about Linar. We made comparisons between Linar and Andre Agassi last night when we recorded that pod, didn't we? Well, I know this is high praise. I'm not saying Aslan Karatsev is Andre Agassi. But it, it, there aren't many people that can really pull off that style of play. Yeah. And Agassi is obviously the archetype a of it, feel isn't he? To that it. just ping pong, not backing off an inch from the baseline. Mm. 
Yeah, and I think, look, I've said Nadal reached the quarterfinals. I'll, I'll stick with that. But I don't think Aslan Karatsev would be intimidated by playing Nadal. You know, he seems to approach every match in the same way. It doesn't matter who it is. We saw that when he beat Novak Djokovic in Belgrade last year. You know, he's, I think he's capable of big wins. And that is, that's not half the battle, but it's a big element when you face someone like Nadal and his presence and, and his greatness. And I, I think Karatsev would deal with, with an occasion against Nadal. Um, yeah, it, it, it'd be a great one to see, but her catch is lurking in that section as well. And mm. he, he, he feels like a big unknown to me. I cannot put my finger on what on earth her catch is going to do ever. Um, <laughs> yeah. He win, he wins Miami. He goes on a seven-match losing streak. He's impossible to fathom. I mean, he did have COVID during that period. But anyway, I agree with you. Her catch is a total unknown quantity. In terms of other other men's contenders, is everyone in agreement that Medvedev is now a clear favourite for this title? Yeah, I mean, I, I felt he was a clear favourite a week ago. Oh, all right. All right, David. <laughs> you asked. Um, <laughs> Surely Djokovic being removed from the equation entirely, though, has has made you even more certain of that? No? Yeah. No? <laughs> yeah, def- definitely. Be- because because Djokovic is the one who, who managed to actually change his own game in Paris to, to beat him and beat him in the final of the Australian Open last year. There's always that chance that Medvedev has one of his moments, a letdown against somebody and somebody takes him out. But I, I just can't see that happening before the final, that, personally. That is the one thing I would say, that Novak Djokovic not being in this draw does change the feel of it to me because Medvedev is not a complete banker yet because we have still seen him have some odd moments, as you said. And, you know, I, I also think Tsitsipas is not a complete banker and Zverev's not and Berrettini's not. I, I expect these guys to get through. But it's it's not entirely impossible that, you know, several of them could be upset and we could end up with a really open draw and lots of possibility. But... Medvedev is the one who, of course, feels like he benefits the most from from Djokovic going out. To me, even though he's on a different side of the draw and he would have to get to the final, I think we saw when he came up against Djokovic in the Australian Open final last year, there's something about Djokovic at the Australian Open Mm. on finals weekend that seems to elevate him even more. And and Medvedev was, was way off him, so... Has to has to benefit Medvedev. Uh, and my goodness, Matt, he was relaxed in pre-tournament press yesterday, wasn't he, Medvedev? I asked him. I mean, you had th- there were barely any people in this press conference yesterday. I didn't it was get really that. bizarre. No, I mean, I think it was time with Emma Raducanu had just been in half an hour before him, and so all of the the British press and and a few others as well were were busy furiously typing away. Um, to file their Emiratikani stories. That was a, you, you know, there are more British written press here than any other nationality by by some way, I think. Um, so that was, you know, a, a big number of attendees taken out of the equation. But still, we were taken aback by how sparsely it. I mean, if Matt and I hadn't been there, David, it would have been awkward. Um, <laughs> it was. I mean, Medvedev wouldn't have cared, I don't think. But it, bit yeah, like Matt in the uh, I mean, Billie Jean King Cup. Brilliant. Yes. Yeah, well, Matt had a sort of deep dive with him on doubles, which he was, I mean, he was delighted to chit-chat with you about What were you trying to get out there? 
Well, I was just wondering whether he took anything from the fact that he did play so much doubles at the ATP Cup because the Russian team was so depleted without Karatsev, without Rublev. Medvedev had to play singles and doubles every single day. And he's always joked about, or maybe been serious, about the fact that he's not a very good doubles player. And I just wondered whether he Like he joked something. that he wasn't a very good clay court player. Yeah, and he joked about that again in his press conference yesterday, <laughs> didn't he? About yeah. how, he, how he won a title in juniors on clay. And he said, it was on clay and I, <laughs> and I won it. You know, he was sort of keeping up that. I'm very much here for all of that. And he didn't talk about, you know, any sort of tactical elements, I, don't, I think, that he's going to use to transfer to his singles. But the, the conclusion I got from his answer was he gained a lot of confidence from playing and winning doubles matches. He said at the start of the week, didn't think we had a chance to win the tournament because I was having to play doubles. But by the end of it, we were really feeling ourselves in the doubles. And I was, I felt like I improved as a doubles player over the week was sort of what he, what he was saying. And I think if it has sort of boosted his confidence in any way, that just makes him all the more dangerous, I think, possibly in singles. He's just feeling good about himself. Mm. Well, I, I said, look, does it feel... This is your first slam coming in as a Grand Slam champion. Does that feel different? Um, and he said, he said not specifically being at a slam as a slam, Grand Slam champion, but he said being a Grand Slam champion feels different. You know, since since September, I've felt different. He said this year compared to the Australian Open last year, he said confidence is just next level. He's, he he gave the example of. You know, he said he said a year ago, if I would lose a practice set to somebody, I felt like I shouldn't be losing a practice set to. I would panic a bit, and it would it would send me off into a bit of a spin. And I'd be thinking, why why have you done that? And he said, now I just let that stuff breeze off me. You've got that well of confidence that you go, ah, oh, I just happened to lose a practice set. I'm still I'm still a better player. I'm still a Grand Slam champion. I'll still I'll still do it when it matters. And he just. He just seemed so at ease with with everything to me that I, I think for me he's he's a very strong favourite. R- round for two, this title. Nick Kyrgios. Round three, Ugo Umber for Daniel Medvedev potentially. I I don't think Nick Kyrgios is a factor at all. I re- I really don't. It's I mean I know part of this is Novak Djokovic, but I mean Nick Kyrgios just not not being talked about at all out here. Yes, he's had COVID. Um, and he's, that was the reason he pulled out of the tournament last week. Before that, he pulled out without suffering from asthma, didn't he? Um, and I know he's, you know, he's not the guy that puts <laughs> puts a month's worth of build-up matches into a Grand Slam and comes in, or, or, you know, he's the guy that turns up and produces it out of nowhere. But, but he doesn't turn up and produce yeah. it out of nowhere and beat, Daniel Medvedev. You know, he he hasn't had that many really big wins, Nick Kyrgios, in slams. You know, he's obviously beat Nadal at Wimbledon. He's had some results. But generally, when he comes up against one of the top players, he loses. And that's when he's in form. That's when he's had preparation. I'd be very, very surprised if he he manages to to unsettle Medvedev. Yeah. I mean, he's got Liam Brody in round one and... Brody will make him work for it. Uh, Umber might be interesting, though, given that Umber beat him um, the other week. Umber, I agree. Mm, yeah, Umber, yeah. Umber to me is is a bigger threat to Medvedev. 
He's got a good record against Medvedev. He beat him the other week. He, he has had He can some unsettle big wins. him, can't he? Make him uncomfortable. Can make him do that. Um, I think you've got to try and make him do one of his concentration lapses. You know, do one of his kicking the camera in Cincinnati moments. He fell apart after that, didn't he? He'd never lost a Rublev before that. And suddenly he's assaulting a piece of camera equipment and he's... He's losing the plot. Mm. I, um, you know, I said that Medvedev was probably the biggest beneficiary of Djokovic being out of the draw. That is sort of assuming that the final here was going to be Djokovic-Medvedev, I suppose. The sort of immediate beneficiaries are obviously the people, the players in, in the section that's been vacated by Djokovic and... Salvatore Caruso <laughs> for, for the title. Monfils is in there. In form, Gail yeah, so, so Matt spent all afternoon examining this draw in forensic detail um, for, for you, dear listeners, for the, for the, for in the name of this preview show. And, uh, and then David wakes up and we start discussing the draw and the potential ramifications of Djokovic's removal from the draw. And, and Matt goes, I've, I've thought about this. I've looked at it. It's big for Monfils. And David just, in one swipe, of his dismissive <laughs> hand goes, no, that's not happening. <laughs> so tell us, David, tell us why Monfils is not capitalising on this opportunity. Well, He's yeah. a titleist. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I have thought again, I do, think, I do think he could be a quarter finalist. I do think he could now that Djokovic is out. Um, he, he'd be my pick for the quarters. But I've got Alcaraz. I got, I'm going big on Alcaraz, folks. I think he's going to take him out. He's going to take everybody out. Have you Alcaraz. got Alcaraz doing the calendar slam, David? <laughs> <laughs> no, he's getting to the semis, and then he's then he, then he'll so, semis, just the semis. <laughs> so you've got Alcaraz beating Berrettini yeah. in round three, and and I think Berrettini would be the other one that comes to mind for me as a beneficiary. Nobody other than Novak Djokovic beat Berrettini in a Grand Slam last year. He 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 withdrew at the Australian Open, and then he lost to Djokovic at Roland Garros, at Wimbledon, and at the US mm. Open. Um, so I think he has got to love the fact that Novak Djokovic is no longer in his section. Finally, he's got a, he's got a break. You know, I thought, oh, he's in, the, he's in the section with Djokovic again, and now he's not. I want to know why Alcaraz hasn't played any events leading up to this at all. Yeah, we, were, we, 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 do, we do too, David. Well. Yeah. Maybe I'll change my mind. Well, he, he, had COVID, he had COVID at the end of last year, didn't he? <laughs> Um, contracted just on the eve of the Davis Cup, didn't he? Um, but I've not heard of any other ailments or injuries or... Yeah, we don't know, in short, David. But we will find out. We, we will do our best to find out. Um, it, on the subject of... Yes, on the subject of Berrettini, he is one of the players that we know is being followed and has been followed all year, I think, all, all two weeks of the tennis year, um, by Netflix documentary cameras because uh, it has been announced that there will be a drive to survive of tennis. And it is already in production. Obviously, tennis is it, going to be a men's and, and women's uh, documentary series. Um, and obviously, tennis, particularly with the men's and women's combined has significantly more competitors players than than formula one does you know that's limited at 20 per season 
Um, so they've had to make a decision about who they follow. Um, and there was a very amusing exchange um, in that I had with Zverev yesterday in his pre-tournament press where I asked him about the Netflix documentary series and whether he was one of those involved. Um, and he he launched into a into a complaint really at um at the ATP incidentally this press conference was being moderated by the head of communications at the ATP he said i've got no problems in principle with the netflix documentary i just wish it had all been communicated with the players better um by the ATP because i've already got my own um documentary in the works and i didn't know anything about this netflix documentary and i said okay so just to clarify um, you're not one of those filming with Netflix at the moment. He said, no, I don't think anybody is. Uh, they haven't started filming yet. And the moderator stepped in and said, um, yeah, th- they are. <laughs> and he said, oh, well, who? Um, and P.S. Stefano Sitsipas had been impressed about an hour earlier bragging about the the filming he'd done with Netflix. Netflix. He said, well, I knew about Netflix before all you knew about Netflix. <laughs> um, so so Zverev says to the moderator, well, well, who? And the moderator says, well, I'll tell you later. <laughs> um, so that presumably would have been an awkward conversation later on saying, well, it's your, it's your big rival that you, that you hate. That, that, you, uh, that you don't reckon is part of the big three in the future. That you don't mm. think is part of the big three, yeah. He's already. I mean, Sitsapas is going big on the fact that he's part of well, Matt, not one but two Netflix sports documentaries. Yes, he believes he's made the edit for the next series of Drive to Survive. He was obviously at the final race. He was part of the Red Bull support group, and he he is very pleased with himself that he is he thinks, going to be in the final episode of the next season of Drive to Survive. With a little smug smile, he said, well, I'm going to actually be in Drive to Survive before I'm in the, in the tennis version <laughs> because I'm in, I'm in the final, final race. I was like, well, Ste- Stephanos, the, the edit probably hasn't been done yet. And there's, there were a lot of people there. A lot that's going to hit the imagine cutting if, room imagine floor. Imagine just sitting there waiting to appear and <laughs> he's like, <laughs> yeah. What, it's over? Oh, my scene got I haven't been on yet. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yes, we know, and um, we had Sitsipas uh, posting a picture of himself with Matteo Berrettini um, on the practice court today at the Australian Open with all the Netflix crew in situ behind them with the boom operator and the cameraman and, you know, the caption was Netflix buddies or something like that. So it could create a bit of a sort of... Mm, well, why have you been chosen and not me? I mean, there are some that maybe were asked and declined. Um, we don't know. All that hasn't been made uh, public public knowledge yet. There was some speculation that Djokovic is one of those being filmed, but we don't know. The only thing officially. we know is that Zverev was not asked. Zverev was not asked. Uh, Medvedev... Uh, Medvedev said, well, it depends where the cameras come. If they come in my house, mm. if they come on the practice court, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, but Medvedev is obviously not one of those being filmed at the moment. Um, Sitsipas, Zverev, contenders? 
Yes, I both, think so. Both in the mix. Well, yes, I think. How big's the mix? I haven't got sits in the quarters. Number. Is that are, are elbow the, related? Have David? you got him losing to Taylor Fritz, David? Because I'm I'm considering uh, that. Don't know. Who I've got or him Fritz, losing who is, to. Who is a Netflix? Fritz is with Netflix. Yeah, I I, I'd, I'd have question marks over that elbow to be able to stand up to mm. the rigors of of this. It's uh, you know, it's it's not been long ago, has it? So. Yeah, that's the biggest. I got Francis Yaffe. Question mark over Sitsipas. Oh, also Netflix. Mm. Yeah. Okay, okay, uh, but Zverev in the mix has to be. Oh, yeah. I he, think, he's, especially he's given the... he's in the top half, which Djokovic isn't isn't in anymore. Oh, I and think he's, he'll and make he, the final. As, as David said yesterday, Zverev plays well against Nadal. Um, yeah, I think he he's definitely in the mix here. Okey-doke. So we have a mix of how many people in the men's? I feel pretty confident that, the, that it will be a Zverev Medvedev final. So they're the two. That's your mix. Mix of two. Nadal is not in... Hang on. Nadal's not even in your mix, David. Well, yeah, he has to be because... You would be surprised. His record is such that I can't be surprised if he gets there. Okay. But I don't... So, so it's not a mix right, of two. three then. I feel like every time we have a slam, we have to remind David what the definition of the mix is. I still don't completely agree with the definition, even though I kind of was partly responsible for coming up with it. <laughs> yeah, I think my mix is bigger. I I think Medvedev's a pretty strong favourite, Zverev's a second favourite. But yeah, as I said, the nature of this draw without Novak Djokovic changes a bit for me and I wouldn't be that surprised if Berrettini won it or I wouldn't be that surprised if a healthy Stefanos Tsitsipas won it so I would I would branch out a little bit Hey I'm Ryan Reynolds Recently I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation they said yes and then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts they said what the f*** are you talking about you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking. And I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. 
Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Okay, on to the women. How big's their mix? Well, Ash Barty has to be the favourite. She was so sharp in Adelaide. She looked really good. Absolutely, she's the favourite. And I feel like I should be sort of really thinking of her as a total banker. You know, it feels like she's probably earned that with her record against top players, with the what she did at Wimbledon last year, making that a goal and going out and winning it. I think she's made this a goal again. I think we could be in a situation where she goes out and wins it. But we have also seen here in particular the semi-final against Kenin a couple of years ago, the very bizarre loss to Mukova at last year's Australian Open the loss to Shelby Rogers at the US Open. Mm. She does still have a a bad performance, a bad result in her, which doesn't quite make me completely convinced that she's going to win it. But I think she's the favourite. And from that, there are so many other players who could win it. I think Naomi Osaka is in the mix. I think Paola Badosa is in the mix. I think Barbora Krikshikova is in the mix. I think Gabine Muguruza, Simona Halep. All of these players have the game, have the form, have the potential and there are others I think it's Osaka in the mix yeah despite her draw yeah she's that good her draw the draw I'm referring to incidentally the draw that she desperately doesn't want to be aware of at Osaka that was the main takeaway from her press conference her her vehement uh, um, refusal to hear anything about her draw although she did admit she already was aware that she is scheduled to meet Ash Barty in the fourth round. The fourth round, David. Well, when I was doing the quarterfinal picks, I didn't really realise that until I actually looked at that section in detail. Because, I mean, you know, I would have just put Barty in there automatically as the as the one player above all others that I would assume is going to be in the quarterfinals. But I really hovered over that for a while because if they meet and if Osaka plays her best absolutely she can take her out and she can probably take her out even even with Barty playing well. You know, the, Osaka is that good. We know that. She's won the thing twice. Um, I, I still got Barty in there just record-wise and, um, you know, form and everything else. I think she's just in a great place. But she's been in a great place before at the Australian Open. We've had a few moments of real shuddering surprise with her where things have just suddenly gone off the boil dramatically Carolyn Amukova you know Sophia Kennan these these were matches that you didn't see coming really I didn't anyway and uh, and suddenly she's out and and she'll suddenly go on this run of losing a load of games in a row and you just you don't have very long to turn it around you got you got to get yourself back on on the I mean I've still got her going all the way don't get me wrong but you know that can happen with her. it, it, it. It's like the anti-surge, isn't it? We talk about the Osaka surge. Um, Ash Barty can just... I mean, and it has become less and less as she has become more and more cemented at the top of the game and when win, wins more big titles. But that loss to Mukova last year really does stick with me because I, I just don't know where that, 
that came from that really un- unsettled me in terms of what to think about Ash Barty. And she's won, you know, she's won Wimbledon since then. She went on to win the, the Miami title. She's, I feel more confident in her than this time last year, but I still have that seed of doubt that it can just go. Um, and I think it's slightly more likely to go with the pressure of playing at home. And that's entirely un- understandable, but I, I I have that seed of doubt. And I find the experience of watching Ash Barty at home really interesting, actually, because they love her. They absolutely love her. And yet she doesn't give them a lot on court. You know, she she's not particularly expressive. And, you know, that's just the way she plays. That's just the way she is. And there can, I feel, sometimes be a slightly odd atmosphere. You know, the sort of Barty party that they're all wanting to start and ready to start never quite sort of fits with the nature of Ash Barty's matches. It's not Tanasi Kokonakis, is it? No, exactly. It's not that vibe. No, Mm. but, you know, I, I certainly think she can win in those conditions. She's won, you know, other titles in Australia before. I don't think she necessarily struggles under the pressure but I agree it it is an environment where if she is going to have one of those lapses it might come might might be different this time you know I'm still picking her to win the tournament Uh, so you're both picking her to win the tournament yeah Yeah. as a Wimbledon champion and bearing in mind the difference in her post-match interviews in the last year to 18 months and the work Mm. she'd done with that mindset coach I wonder whether we may just feel subtle differences mm. in 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 mm. her on court demeanor. She was she was in um, total focus mode in her press conference yesterday, wasn't she, Matt? Just it was. I can't say lockdown because it now has sh- shuddering uh, connotations for us all. Um, but it was just it was in perfectly lovely and pleasant, but watertight wasn't it? It was lockdown yeah. focus, give nothing away uh, in her press yesterday. This is, you know, game face times for Ash Barty. Um, I, I haven't penned in my predictions. I have only penciled. But I'm hovering over Badosa for the title. Catherine I- has been looking up the record of previous Sydney champions to sort of see whether it's a done thing that the Sydney champion goes on to win the Australian Mm. Open. We had uh, Kvitova a couple of years ago, uh, won Sydney and of course reached the final, lost to Osaka. Um, And and going back a bit further, there have been plenty of Sydney champions that have have gone on to win the title. It's just been uh, a little bit less frequent in the last sort of, you know, five years or so, but, um, she, goodness me, she just, she, 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 she just looking so convincing to me. I should caveat all of this with, I think she really could lose in the first round. Who's she got first round? <laughs> She's got Isla Tomljanovic. Now I do think she will come through that, but I also think there's a chance she'll lose. I certainly think that could get hairy for her. Now, Tom Lianovic has a bit of a a closing problem in the really big, tight matches. I do think ultimately Badossa will come and, through that. And she, Badossa, has an exceptional record in tight moments. I think mm. I read that she's won 10 tie breaks in a row. 
she certainly won, you know, her two big titles recently, Indian Wells and Sydney the other day, you know, in deciding set tie breaks. You know, mm. she she knows how to play tough when it's close, when it's tight. She she backs her game, the conviction she has on her shots, the the belief I have watching her that she's not going to miss and yet she's also not going to just play it safe. She's going to go for it and it's going to land in. There's There's... There's a security to her play. There's a confidence to her. She is. She's looking very, very ready, and I think that's impressive because, you know, this is, you know, she's up to world number six now. Paula Badosa, world number six. I mean, you would never have thought that possible a year ago, mm. and she she really feels like she belongs here now. Mm. In in quite a quick period of time, she's she's managed to achieve that. I'm basing most of my prediction on her semi-final win. Uh, she also, of course, won the final in Sydney. <laughs> she beat Barbora Krachikova in an absolute thriller that Matt and I were physically unable to watch here in Australia. I, I can't quite believe I'm saying that. Uh, but in, I mean, there were two factors at play here. There was tennis being tennis and all the matches happening at the same time. You had the finals in Sydney and in Adelaide happening at the same time. And there was only one channel available from the rights holder, Channel 9, here in Australia to, sh- to show tennis. And they went with the Aussie. They went with Tanasi Kokonakis against Arta Rindekunesh, which was a great match. And I loved watching Kokonakis win that title. I really did. It made me emotional. I loved it. But the fact that watching that made us unable, you know, you know Badosa Krachikova was headed, was I think at four all in the deciding set and we were watching Rinda Knesh and Kokonakis. Change ends. Change ends, you know, and it was maddening. So David, we're going to need you to tell us about the thrilling final stages of Badosa Krachikova, please. Oh, it was amazing. You really missed out, guys. Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it really was good. Thanks, cause... thanks to friends of the tennis podcast that flew us all the way out to Melbourne to not be able to watch tennis. <laughs> we could watch tennis, just not the tennis we wanted to watch. Um, what was great about it was that they this felt like both of their pretty much best tennis from 2021 at the same time. Paola Badosa breaking mm. into the world's top 10, uh, Barbara Krachikova becoming a singles player and not only that, but a, a Roland Garros champion. They just went toe-to-toe and they did everything that they do so well. These raking ground strokes from Krachikova, not afraid to come into the net. These wonderfully balanced baseline reposts from Badosa, somebody who just has such a control over the flight of her her strikes. She seems to know exactly what's going to happen when she hits the ball. And... Um, it was quite interesting when we were inching into the, the latter stages and it went to the final set tiebreak. Just got this feeling in the in my gut that Badosa wins. She just gives you this confidence that mm. that she is a champion mm-hmm. uh, and backs herself against anybody. Whereas I still feel there's a little flicker in critique of her of thinking, "Wow, look what look where <laughs> I am." Look, I mean, you know, and I don't mean to do, do her down at all because I think it's such a, a a wonderfully um, endearing quality she has. She always disarms me whenever she speaks in her post-match on-court interviews. I just think the world of Barbara Krachikova as a player and as a person that I don't even know, but I just like her. But but also gives 
a sense of poise and confidence that she's going to get the job done. That's that's why I think beyond just her game, which is clearly very good, that's why I think you can. I mean, I, I've got to lose into Barty in the semis, but I could see it. I could I could see her going all the way as well. I see why you would say that, Catherine. Okay, you've made me less anxious about that uh, that penciled in prediction. Uh, some other names to throw at you for for mix candidates. Garbinia Muguruza, who was all about the good vibes in press yesterday. Didn't you know there was no sort of massive headline grabbing quote to take away from her press conference. You know, I don't I you know, I didn't learn anything massively new about her other than she she's still in a really great place and that's lovely to see. Yeah. Seems really happy and a happy Muguruza so often has been a winning Muguruza, I think. And you know, Guadalajara is so fresh in our memory and it was a very happy Muguruza that week. And if she can bottle some of that energy it is about time she won a grand slam title on a hard court frankly it's it's staggering to me that she hasn't considering how good she is on this surface how how she's won titles on the surface elsewhere and i think there's a potential round four clash looming between garbini muguruza and simona halep which sounds like old school now doesn't it Yes, it does, doesn't it? Very, very sort of 2017. (laughs) Yeah. Yes, but I I think that really, look, if it happens, that could be the big clash of the bottom half of the women's draw. There's there's other players in there, of course there are. Annette Contivate, still playing well. Elena Rabatkina playing really well. Iga Sviontek, I think, has had a pretty good start to the season and and has, has been consistent in slams over the last year. You've got to factor her in. But... You know, it feels to me like a, that's a that's a heavyweight clash, Muguruza Halep, and they've they've both started the season pretty well. Halep, in particular, of course. But if that happens, I think I'm probably taking Muguruza. All of Halep's wins over Muguruza have come have come on clay, whereas Muguruza has dominated on a hard court. And I think the reason I single that one out is because the big, you know, the highest seed in this half is Irina Sabalenka, and there are so many doubts about her at the moment. Mm. I think I read that in her last four matches, going back to the WTA finals and, and her two this year so far, she's been in double figures for double faults in all of them. And you cannot make progress in a draw, I don't think, if you've got so many doubts over your serve that she's got. And there's no real sign that she's that close to solving that at the moment. And that that really opens up, I think, that that bottom section of the women's draw where you've got... Leila Fernandez is a name which jumps out to me in there, and that's exciting. Mm, I think I've got, again, only pencil. I think I've got Fernandez in my quarters. Um, I think she's going to have a good year, Leila Fernandez. Some more names to throw at you. Well, one, one, okay. One particular name to throw at you Emma Raducanu, mix or no mix? Definitely not in the mix for me. So. She's got Sloane Stevens round one. Yeah, I, I'd is she be, coming through that? I'd be surprised if she won that match. I, th- I think Stevens is clear favourite. Interesting, because Stevens, Stevens has played no tennis this season. She's coming in uh, completely cold. Um, freshly married. <laughs> freshly married. Um, yeah, obviously, you know, in a, 
in a good place sort of happiness wise but having played no tennis um incredible to have that as a first round matchup incidentally i asked uh emma Adekani because uh, nadal in the spanish portion of his press this was the only bit of his spanish press that i understood um muy rapido uh in relation to the court he was talking about the court being quick and matt translated for me that he had also said he felt the balls were hollow yeah he said there's been a trend on on the tour in tennis over the last two years that the balls have yeah been more hollow i think less fluffy perhaps and less less taking of spin i think was the mm. point he was making and he, he feels that here as well so, so I put that to Radicani, of course, because a massive talking point at the US Open last year was how quick the courts were. Uh, and clearly the courts in New York suited Emma Radicani. Um And she gave a very detailed response. She said, they might be quick courts here in Melbourne, but they're less slick than the US Open. She said they feel stickier to her. But, and, but she also said that the conditions here, how the court plays, depends massively on the weather conditions. She said day session matches are entirely different to night sessions. She said she'd been trying to to practice in sort of both sets of, of conditions. Um, and, you know, we have so little data to go on with Emma Adekani about what suits her, what doesn't, but clearly the US Open suited her. And then we had the stark contrast of her playing at Indian Wells a few weeks later. Now, there were other things going on there. She'd split with her her coach, Andrew Richardson. She, you know, had had a, a whirlwind few weeks. There's many, many completely understandable reasons why she didn't fare well in Indian Wells. But also, the conditions looked so slow. I mean, she just, her timing looked completely off. So, fast court's on the surface of it, no pun intended, uh, you'd think great for Radicani, but there's obviously a, a bit more to it than that for her. And there was a lovely line she gave to remind us just how inexperienced she is, saying that the only other time she's been to the Australian Open was when she was a junior and she wasn't allowed in certain places. Mm-hmm, you know, yeah. her her past didn't get her into the places she can go now. So you know, she is sort of discovering the Australian Open site, you know, and being able to go through doors she wasn't able to go through before. And I think I really get the sense she's appreciating that, you know, and sort of no matter what happens here, she just wants to see gradual improvement in herself. And she just wants to feel a little bit more comfortable, I think, every week that she is a tour player for the first time, really. This is this is the beginning of her tour journey, really. Fresh season, new start. And I think if she plays well and if she pushes Stone Stevens, obviously she's got high standards. She's won the US Open already. But I think she'll take something from that. I think she wants to see improvement. She seems to have a good perspective on it, a much, much better perspective than a lot of people have on Emma Raducanu. She, she thankfully, has a, has a really good one yeah. on herself, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I have one more potential mix name to throw at you. You can, you can throw some uh, out there onto the table as well, if you like. Uh, Madison Keys has just won the title in Adelaide. Um, she beat Alison Risk in the final, semi-final. She beat Coco Goff. Um, she faces Sophia Kennan in the 
first round. Obviously, that's a, a very tricky opening round draw. It's been so long since I even threw out the possibility of Madison Keys being in a mix. Um, but then it wasn't long before that that we just assumed that Madison Keys would be in mixes for a very long time. Does a title in Adelaide put her anywhere anywhere near the mix for either of you two, or is it is it too too long a haul for her? Uh, I would put Coco Goff in the mix ahead of her. To be honest, um, I I think Madison Keys top level tennis is right there. But how confident are you that you're going to see the same tennis that won the day the Adelaide title over the next two weeks? I'm not. I don't think the past history would suggest that that is a banker in any way. Um, and I think that Coco Goff is is a better bet, really. Is, is Coco, you, was that you saying that Coco Goff is in the mix? Yeah. Yeah, I've, I, I, I think, um, I mean, I don't seem to have Coco Goff in my quarterfinals. I don't quite know how. Um, <laughs> yes, she's in the mix, but I don't have her in my quarterfinals. I'm not sure who I've got beating um, her, to be honest. But um, anyway... I- I'll revise that. I'll have a look at it because I do. Th- I think ah. she's capable. I think you've probably got Paula Badosa beating yeah, her along the way because they're in that, they're in the same section. That, that's that's right. And and yet I feel like I would put Goff ahead of a number of players I've probably got in the quarterfinals that are there because of their sections. I, I just think Goff is going to get there in the next year or two. Um, so yeah, I think she kind of is mix worthy. You know. I'm not surprised if she breaks I'm gonna, through. I, I'm wary, uh, I'm wary of, of time here because uh, the Djokovic situation has made this a bit of a, a bumper preview episode. Um, so I'm just going to quick fire, throw some remaining names at you and you can tell me whether they're in the mix or not, okay? Uh, Belinda Bencic, Olympic gold medalist. No. Okay, Maria Sakkari, fifth seed. Loves it in Australia. No. I'm, I'm really in between on Sakkari. Because there's a big thing holding her back, which is closing big matches. And she needs to solve that problem in sort of real time to be able to win this tournament. But sort of tennis-wise and attitude-wise, she seems set up to do that, sort of break her own barrier. So I'm going to cop out on Maria Sakkari. I'm going to say Sakkari's not in the mix. I think I wouldn't be remotely surprised to see her make the a semi-final, is, but I, I would be very surprised it, to see her win. Well, you wouldn't be surprised is, if she is, beat Barty. I mean, in principle, thing is, this looking is, through the draw, she's not in my, I don't, uh, she's not in my semi. Has, but, has the US Open not altered our sense of what is surprising? Yeah. You know, do we not just have a, have a far wider net now in yeah, terms but that was, of... Actually, okay, Maria Sakkari, not that surprising. We can't cast the net out to all the qualifiers, Matt. No, that's not sure. Yeah, but, but I'm, Matt, but I'm that, saying, that can was, we cast it out to Maria Sakkari? Well, but that was one in a million to me. And yes. it's like... Okay. That was the, the exception. to Camilla Cabello again. <laughs> that, is, that was the exception, the exception that, proves that proves the rule, the rule. that, that, that yes. it's unlikely. Okay, more names. Uh, two-time champion Victoria Azarenka. Yeah, she's in it. Yeah, I think she is. I mean, she beat Paula Badosa. She's won the thing twice. You know, Ten days you know, ago. She, she's a bit. And it's she's a bit, won it it's twice. a bit like the Nadal thing. You know, even, even if you just know that it's in there because she's done it before. Kenin, she's done no. it before. Contivate. I'd say no. I'd say yes. Oh, uh, Rebecca. No. Yes. Un- unbeaten this season. 
pulled out of Sydney because she just wanted to screw I'd me be over. Surprised, I'd still be surprised if she won it. Svantec. Yes. Yes. Uh, Kvitova. No. No. I'm saying no on Kvitova. Kerber. No. No. Fernandez. She's, she, she's had COVID, Kerber, very recently. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, uh, no for Fernandez. Fernandez. No for Fernandez. And Sabalenka, we're, we're all nose on Sabalenka, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm, okay, right. Verdicts are in. There's sort of an iffy 10-ish players in the women's mix. Um, I've enjoyed talking about tennis for yes. the last hour. I've enjoyed looking forward to this Australian Open because it's going to be great, folks. It really is going to be great. And I'm not saying that we'll <laughs> we'll forget about the Djokovic saga, that there won't be some kind of legacy f- from it, that there won't be tons of fallout that, that we'll we'll have to cover that you know no intention to sweep under the carpet but we can talk about tennis now and the tennis is going to be great um just while we've been recording incidentally we have had a, a statement come through from tennis australia on the novak djokovic um situation and the verdict that obviously has come in uh from the courts this evening they have said Uh, Tennis Australia respects the decision of the federal court. As per Grand Slam rules, the number one position in the draw has been filled by a lucky loser. The updated schedule for Monday, the 17th of January, can be viewed here. We look forward to a competitive and exciting Australian Open 2022 and wish all players the best of luck. We also have one from the ATP, Catherine, um, which reads, uh, Today's decision to uphold Novak Djokovic's Australian Open visa cancellation marks the end of a deeply regrettable series of events. Ultimately, decisions of legal authorities regarding matters of public health must be respected. More time is required to take stock of the facts and to take the learnings from this situation. Irrespective of how this point has been reached, Novak is one of our sport's greatest champions and his absence from the Australian Open is a loss for the game. We know how turbulent the recent days have been for Novak and how much he wanted to defend his title. We wish him well and look forward to seeing him back on court soon. ATP strongly recommends a vaccination to all players. Quite a strong statement there. Um, So, tennis. We're going to focus on tennis. We're going to be bringing you daily podcasts throughout this Australian Open and we can't wait to do that. Just one last um, bit of news from the tennis world. Um, Not really news, but we just... We want to wish our very best to Chris Evert, um, who revealed yesterday that she's been diagnosed with stage 1C ovarian cancer. Um, she said on Twitter, I wanted to share my stage 1 ovarian cancer diagnosis and the story behind it as a way to help others. I feel very lucky that they caught it early and expect positive results from my chemo plan. Thanks to Chris McKendry, um, who wrote a, a fantastic art- article and very heartfelt article um, about her good friend, um, Chris Everts' diagnosis on the ESPN website. Chris McKendry is a, a, a presenter on ESPN. She says, thanks to Chris McKendry for her friendship and for co-writing this very personal story with me. And thanks to all of you for respecting my need to focus on my health and treatment plan. You will see me appear from home at times during ESPN's coverage of the Aussie Open. Um, and Chris Everett has always been very generous with her time towards me and towards the tennis podcast. And 
she's a formidable woman and we wish her very well indeed with her treatment and we hope to see her very soon uh, back at tennis tournaments where she belongs. So we are on the eve of the first Grand Slam of 2022. That Grand Slam has a mascot and that mascot is Charlie uh, an absolutely gorgeous rescue beagle owned by Phil and Gina in Chicago. And I'm looking at a picture of Charlie right now and it's like he's staring into my soul. Uh, he's wearing a little um, red plaid bow tie. Um, he's just gorgeous. And the backstory of uh, of Charlie is that Phil and Gina rescued him on the day he was scheduled to be put down at the shelter that they that they got him that they got him from, so that's oh. <laughs> we like Charlie and um, yeah, Charlie, you're gonna have a good fourteen days. Charlie's managed to swerve all of the Djokovic drama, just swooped in for the good times. Welcome to the happy <laughs> cha- uh, happy slam, Charlie. Um, we have our own mascots. We have Carter, who's mine. We have Darwin, who's David's, and we have Gerald the cat, who is Matt's. We're starting with clean slates. <laughs> it's downhill from here, folks. Billie Jean uh, is enjoying the wintry weather in London. She she wouldn't like it in Australia. As much as I miss her, she would not be having good times in Melbourne. It's too hot for Billie Jean. She's sponsored by Billie Jean King and Ilana Kloss. Uh, we have our two executive producers. We have top blokes, Chris Albert Lee and Kyle Weingartner. And I should save my voice because we've got 14 daily tennis podcasts still to come. And we have shout outs, Matt. For Emma Wright from Halifax in the UK. All right, Emma. Hello, Emma. I've never been to Halifax. <laughs> No. I've, been to the, I've been to the Building Society. Indeed. Can I move on? <laughs> Hello and thank you, Emma. Yeah, indeed. We have Tristan Amy from Pennsylvania. Oh, home Tristan. of Scranton, home yeah. of the office, the US indeed. office. Which uh, Catherine and I first bonded over in about 2007 when we started quoting lines from it. You, me, you, <laughs> me and Michael Pernforce in Paris. <laughs> There's a story. A story which David clearly doesn't remember, but I do. Is there an alternate universe where there's three people on the tennis podcast and it's Michael Pernforce instead of me? <laughs> He's a good, well, good chap, is Michael Pernforce. Could, st- could still I always happen. remember he was... I always remember whenever I used to go to the Albert Hall to watch the champions, Michael Pernforce was always introduced as... Having led Jimmy Connors, what was it, six one, six one, four one at Wimbledon or something, and then there was a long pause, and he lost. He's, he's also the bloke that John McEnroe was defaulted against mm, at the Australian yeah. Open in ninety one. He did, and he did David. other stuff too. He was a really good player. He did <laughs> he got, other stuff. Got yeah. to a French Open <laughs> final. <laughs> anyway, thank you to. Tristan. Tristan. Cheers, Tristan. <laughs> Thanks, Tristan. Somehow ended up with Michael Pernforce. Anyway. Last... Michael Pernforce relives. <laughs> Bonus. Last but not least, we have Dan Hatch, who lives in London, but originally from Perth. I think we know Dan, yeah. don't we? Yes. Hello, Dan. Dan has sent some lovely messages of encouragement to us, mm. uh, particularly when we launched uh, Friends of the Tennis podcast. So a big thank you to him and to everybody else yes. who supported us. I mean, it's just and... great. 
And Dan says, the first player I ever saw play live was Sue Shea at the oh. Hopman Cup. I can't think of a better way to get someone into tennis. Splendid and tremendous, Dan. Thank you very much for your support. Thank you to all friends of the Tennis Podcast. There's a brand new Lena Tennis Relived episode for you um, if you haven't listened to that on our Friends feed. And if you'd still like to become a friend of the Tennis Podcast, you can do so. We still have um, intro slots available, shout-out slots available, and you can just become a friend of the pod for the hell of it and uh, to support us and to get access to the additional bonus pods, including Tennis Relived and our, our Grand Slam Reflections pod that we'll be recording uh, at the end of every slam. That's it for our preview of the Australian Open. It's been a bumper episode. Uh, thanks to Alex Hawke, Novak Djokovic and everybody else involved in the saga. Um, we'll never mention Alex Hawke again, I promise. And it will be tennis from here on in. We'll speak to you tomorrow. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.